0: Hey and welcome to another episode of the leadership enigma well we're back into the entrepreneurial world which is just so important so many of the larger organizations that i work with they talk about wanting people to have an entrepreneurial spirit or a founder's mindset so this is going to be fun as we talk to fraser edwards who's the founder and ceo of checked and we'll talk about that entrepreneurial spirit but we'll also talk about some things such as self-sovereign identification surveillance capitalism Now, you may not know what that means, but you need to know what that means and what is the relevance to that to modern-day leadership and organizations all over the world. So much
1: to talk about. Come back to me just after this. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico.
0: So it's a massive warm welcome, Fraser. How are you, my friend?
2: You can see in sunny London for a change. We um, can
0: do. We just lost your. We just lost your sound there for a moment, but now we can hear you saying you're in sunny London.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you can see the background behind me, which uh, I've managed to find in the WeWork that I've managed to kind of plonk myself in. In a secret room that they have hidden here with a wonderful background and strangely a pool table, which uh, I can't really complain about.
0: No, you can't complain about a pool table. Now, I think anyone just glancing at that immediately might think you're in the Middle East somewhere. But no, that is indeed London and one of those rare occasions where it completely blew sky uh, with the kind of uh, some of the iconic buildings behind you as well, which is good to see.
2: Oh, exactly, and uh, and how are things with yourself? We're all good, actually. I'm looking
0: forward to this conversation because this is fairly and squarely in the entrepreneurial conversation, which I I always love. I enjoy. You are an entrepreneur. We'll get on to that. But Fraser, tell us a little bit about your background growing up, because I know you came really from a, a family of engineers so there's perhaps no surprise you've, you've gone into the field that you've gone into but just tell us a little bit about some of those influences uh, as for you growing up and then that will lead us neatly into what you're doing now what you founded
2: yeah absolutely so I uh, grew up in the northeast of England um, not that I have the accent anymore um, so just maybe 10 miles south of Durham Um, which may sneak through whenever I say Durham. Um, But uh, yeah, very much grew up in in a family of kind of, of engineers, um, and traveled around as as a result as well. So kind of spent short stints in Greece, France. um, But the main thing to, to your point was, uh, was kind of growing up in that family of engineers. So um, if you kind of look at uh, kind of my parents and and my half brothers and family, um, I mean, my dad was a civil engineer. My mom's mechanical, I'm mechanical. Uh, then I have an uncle who's a chemical engineer and two half brothers, one of whom is uh, a civil engineer and the other one who's another, uh, who's an architect. Um, so there was really no choice when I went to university, what degree I was going to study. It was kind of baked in from the start. Um, although I definitely, uh, almost made a move into law and then, uh, quickly kind of got back on the straight and narrow, um, which yeah, hopefully my parents are happy about. I'm
0: hope. i sure and as a lawyer I can say you know it's always good to do something which is slightly different and so engineering is very different to what I did but certainly engineering for you well that's a real theme would you say what a rich history that you grew up in uh, within the family for engineering and so was that always a passion did you just kind of feed into it and think yeah this is for me I'm surrounded by I love it this is what I want to do
2: uh, definitely at the start. So, um, when I was growing up a classic classic boy of that age of just surrounded by Lego, um, and I still have boxes of the stuff at home that my mum was determined not to get rid of kind of at the point where I have kids. I'll be able to <laughs> hand it down all the kind of stuff. So just boxes and boxes of this stuff, all in a jumble, none of it in kits. Um, and then kind of, uh, ended up with, uh, one of my father's friends, again, another engineer um ends up giving me kind of an electronics kit. And then it kind of went down that path of creating stuff that buzzed, lit up, flew, all that, all that kind of stuff. The rest is um, history. Yeah, exactly. And then uh I guess to maybe skip ahead, kind of went off to university, studied and fell up I guess started falling down that kind of entrepreneurial path a bit more. Yeah. Um, as well as kind of interning in, in engineering. And uh I guess finding it wasn't quick enough. Um, and I think that really kind of put me more down the entrepreneurial path um, with a bit of a sit-in consulting in between. But yeah, certainly when I was growing up, it was, um, I guess I, I wouldn't say I knew I, I knew of it as engineering. I just knew of it as problem solving and building stuff. Um, and I guess that just matured into eventually kind of w- w- what I'm up to now.
0: Yeah. Well, I always say success leaves clues and I, I know you won't mind me asking this. Um, I know you suffered a loss, didn't you? Uh, your father, I think sadly passed away when you were only 18. And so uh, I, you mentioned that to me and I, I mentioned that now because I'm interested about the kind of the resilience that that gave you, uh, and what yeah, forced you to have. So, so tell me just a little bit about that Fraser.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it's something I've, I've been kind of following as well as like an emerging narrative over the years of yeah. like grit and resilience being kind of um, qualities that a lot of people see in leaders. Um, yeah, unfortunately, um, my, my kind of father had a, um, I think it was a year to two year um, battle with cancer that unfortunately he lost. Yeah. Um, and being the awkward sod that he was, it was right during the middle of my A-level a- exams. Um, so i would kind of like obviously once once the kind of battle starts somehow it just becomes normal life right um so the fact that every so often he'd kind of be taken into hospital at the same time that i was kind of studying as well as um work at least a couple of jobs so i think at the time i was working a bar working in uh, of all places burger king still i think one of the best jobs i've ever had um right. honestly it was fantastic for Maybe not particularly great reasons, Um, but it it just meant that I was kind of, I was working two jobs, studying, um, having to disappear off to to hospital kind of every other evening to go and visit him at at some points. And it just somehow that becomes very normal in a way that it shouldn't. Um, So it just becomes part of normal life. And you kind of get to the end of it and look back and you don't really know how you've done it, um, where you're doing kind of solid, like, these 12 to 16, 18 hour days, just to kind of get through everything, see everyone and and kind of get through the work that you need to do. Um, and I think to that point on kind of grit and resilience, I think once you've been through that once and you know that you can do it, it suddenly becomes very, very easy to do it again. Um, and obviously those were kind of the worst possible circumstances that it could have happened. Um, but at the same time, it kind of now means that if I ever have something, I, I guess the, to boil it down, anything that's less than that kind of terrible scenario mm. feels fine. Um, so it means kind of, as I, don't know, um, fundraising concerns when I was, when we were first starting out we didn't have any money to actually start the company, um, trying to find people not like having that potential for failure suddenly feels okay when you, your kind of outlier event is, is so far off, um, and it's yeah, I guess the, I guess the outcome is just kind of, I wouldn't say unflappable, but just very calm under pressure when a lot of things are going on, and able to just yeah. like, just keep going. um it's, uh, I guess to quote, um is it Dory from uh, Finding Nemo, "Just keep swimming," which strange, not really a motto to have, but it's uh, certainly fitting you. for for the approach.
0: Listen, it's it's one of those events that unfortunately. W- will come to all of us and, and we dread it. I lost a parent during COVID, yes, much later on in life. So, uh, you know, I really understand what that feels like, but you were very young, it's a tender age. So, you know, I appreciate you talking about that and how that has shaped and guided and moulded you for the resilience that you do need to be an entrepreneur. I remember my mentor, unfortunately, he also lost his battle and, and and not with us anymore. And we said, see things as they are, not worse than they are. And, and sometimes maybe that's easier said than done. So, you know, that in, in some ways is part and parcel of your DNA, your heritage, your legacy of who you are and what you do as an entrepreneur. And, and that really did, you know, you are the entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about when you knew, because I know you've done some work in business and you work for Accenture as well, but you kind of, at what point did you think, no, I've got to start my own business. I've got to do my own thing, be the master of my own destiny.
2: Oof. Um, so I flirted with it a couple of times. Yep. Um, so probably the first was, uh, it was a terrible idea, but... Um, got to have a few all- terrible
0: ideas before you get to the good one, right?
2: Very, very true. This this, this had no business model behind it. though. It was, it was purely interesting from an engineering perspective. And effectively, the idea, was my final year of university. If you've ever cycled in London, what you find most frustrating is not necessarily kind of like traffic or other cyclists it's basically sequences of traffic lights that's actually the most frustrating part right because you're kind of hammering along at a pretty constant pace and making decent progress and you know that if you hit one red light you'll hit a kind of a cascade of them so it was almost this kind of crowdfunded crowd sourced idea of using everyone's Strava data to start giving you feedback of whether you should speed up or slow down. So actually you could make an efficient pass through lights of kind of, okay, you need to uptake your speed by two mile an hour in the next quarter. And that'll mean that you can get through like the next series of, a series of lights and you'll save yourself like five minutes on the commute. Okay. Um, but there's, there's obviously like one, I didn't have the engineering chops for it, but also, Um, there was just no fees. I couldn't see a feasible business model for this thing that was going to scale. Um, the second one was myself and my co-founder of checked actually anchor Banerjee, we, um, went through a series of hackathons probably five or six years ago and one of them, we basically came up with, um, it was, it was the idea of nudge theory and behavioral economics and using that with open banking data to give people feedback on their spending habits. So an example would be. Um, using geofencing so that if you happen to walk into PRET, it would give you that feedback of you've spent X amount in PRET this month already, you're saving up for X, Y, and Z. Do you still want that kind of chai latte in the evening? Like, could if you go without, like you're gonna get there. Um, and we did this in the hackathon, and I think we came third. And we did the classic hackathon thing of we just really never thought about it ever again. And lo and behold, maybe six months to a year later, Anchor messaged me with a company exists doing exactly what we were thinking about. And I think that was the real kicker. That was the one where if I ever see this opportunity again, I'm going after it. Um and that kind of brings on to to kind of where um we at or where we were a year ago, which was um we'd spent myself at Anchor had spent roughly two to three years in a in a kind of a technology called self sovereign identity, which I'm gonna explain in a second. Yeah, we'll come back um, to that and but basically we we spent a reasonable amount of time kind of in that world and just kept on seeing a kind of private enterprise or companies not adopting the technology for quite frankly good reasons which we'll get on to but eventually it got to the point where we we're like we need to go and solve this ourselves because no one else is doing it um and after after those first two experiences the first one which was absolutely not viable although i'd love someone to create it but fun the, exactly and the the second one which was this was definitely viable we just didn't have basically the confidence to do it um for for various reasons and then this came around we're like we're not missing this out again um and it's been a fantastic ride ever since
0: so i'm going to pause you there because there's so much you know as i say the success the clues are in there really of it so there was one which was great fun but not not a business idea another one which was a great idea but you didn't have the confidence therefore not the momentum and and the early adopter has gone someone else has has eaten your breakfast which is a lesson in itself isn't it and then you've come to check now check to my right in in thinking uh you chap started this in 2021 is that correct
2: yes yeah so um yeah just i think it was yeah it was a year into covid so april 2021 was when we started
0: so a year into covid you're about what 15 16 people now already
2: uh yes yeah it's been it's been pretty rapid um it seems to be growing i the point where i keep on saying 15 16 because it seems to be growing on me kind of week by week and i'm never exactly sure where we are Mm. um which is a fantastic position to be in
0: and and i mentioned that because anyone who has been a business owner or wants to be a business owner as soon as you have people who are part and parcel of your business you are responsible for them you are responsible for their livelihoods and that's an enormous uh, that's an enormous challenge in itself. Um, tell me something else. I think you've raised money as well, haven't you, or, or or almost had a a book valuation on you. Can you just give the listeners an idea of, 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 cause it's rapid stuff. 2021, you started and here we are in 2022. Just give the listeners an idea of kind of where you are because you're in the technology space.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so within probably nine months of starting, uh, we'd, raised twice. So the first one was 700 grand. Yep. Um, this is all US dollars, 700 grand. Um, then we followed that with a further 2.8 million, um, again, in dollars, against a book valuation of, oh, sorry, gets valuation of around 43 million. Um, and a lot of that was tied to kind of the space, space we're playing in. So, um, we are kind of in, in the crypto space yeah. and obviously kind of attracted those valuations, certainly during the ballroom. Um, but it was, it was pretty rapid progress. Um, it was incredible. Um, especially as a first time founder, it was a really, it's weird speaking to other people and go, is it really this, I wouldn't say easy, but kind of. Does it happen this well the first time for everyone, or is this just us? Um so Not it's your very, first very time, really. though.
0: Let, let's be honest. This, this isn't your first time, because you say you've dabbled before or you've missed out before. So you, you've, you've seen an opportunity and you've grabbed it. So in, in some very ways, true. give yourself some credit as well, because we, we just talked about some of the experiences you've had and some of the things that haven't worked out, some of the lessons that you've learned, and here you are. So you're being humble. I know that. But I love these stories. And just tell everyone, how old are you?
2: Uh, just thirty. Um, so young, so <laughs> young. <laughs> and, and
0: I have sports yeah, injuries. Your age, anyway. That's another.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, probably even worse. I keep on being told that I look even younger, which um, you do look so, young, yeah, which so is,
0: Trust me, that's a good thing. So I mean, this is amazing. Look, you, you've raised money twice. You've got a book valuation of forty-three million dollars, and you started it in twenty twenty-one. I want people who are listening to this, whether they're seasoned executives or whether they they. Young adults, you know, thinking, what shall I do next? You've got to do it. Grab your opportunity. There is success to be had out there, not just monetary success, but also I know you're living your passion as well, and you're using uh, the skills that you have and your engineering background. And so you're in this space that this is where you're going to have to help me, and you're going to have to help the listeners, yep. all right? So we, <laughs> we're going to take this slowly, and I might ask some daft questions, phrase, but I know you'll be kind to me. So you're in this space of self-sovereign identity. Right. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, very good question. And something that actually they, they kind of... I'll use SSI as, a, as an abbreviation quite a lot because self-sovereign identity is a mouthful on its own. Okay, SSI. That,
0: All right, go for it. Give us what that yeah. means.
2: Um, so... Self-sovereign identity, really the easiest way I I can explain it, and this was, I guess, how we were talking about it before, is to start to compare it against what happens right now with most people's data. Okay, and use me as an
0: example, Fraser. Use use me if that helps.
2: Exactly. So, a lot of your listeners will probably heard the term uh, surveillance capitalism, and it's normally accompanied with um, the kind of statement of, um, "If you're not paying for the product, you are the product," Um, and what they're kind of meaning there is. The kind of the likes of Facebooks, the Googles, maybe even Netflix, and kind of the way that they soak up data about individuals um, and then monetize that data, typically through um, selling that data onto maybe brokers, um, using that for advertising and selling advertising that's targeted specifically at you or your your demographic, right? Um, And also just generally hoarding data about people to try and make as much money from them as possible. Um, there's been a long history of what people call uh, user-centric identity, but even even when it's kind of user-centric, it's typically trying to grab as much information from someone as possible so they can go monetize it. And probably the best example of surveillance capitalism was a kind of Facebook scandal with Cambridge Analytica. Oh, right, yeah, remind,
0: where, remind everyone about this.
2: Absolutely, so this was where, a case where um, A lot of people were providing data to Facebook. Um, Cambridge Analytica um, basically came into uh, and started accessing Facebook's data um, and really creating quite sophisticated models about kind of voter behavior, demographics. Um, I think both in the U.K., but certainly certainly in in the U.S., but also I think in the U.K., And started using that to mani- manipulate or well, yeah manipulate kind of votes in elections, and people had kind of provided that data in good faith to to Facebook, without any real idea that it's it was being used in in this kind of fashion. Um, but there are other downsides to this. There's not just this kind of terrifying like surveillance part of it. There's also just the terrible user experience. So um, you yourself, Adam, probably have somewhere between two and 300 um, kind of accounts with different websites, different companies. Um, and they're typically just do, doing that to kind of lock you in, build that relationship, and right. really tie you in and get, but also get more data from you. Um, and it, it's slowly getting worse. So I don't know if anyone, uh, any of your listeners have recently opened up the BBC News app. Um, but suddenly that's asking for a username and password. Um, and there's, there's no real reason for that apart from they're trying to start, I think, linking it with iPlayer use and then being able to kind of go after people for license fees. Um, the most extreme version of this I've had recently was I was trying to book tickets, um, in Paris for a museum and you could only get to the museum if you'd booked tickets in advance and you could only do that by creating an account. So, even though I have no intention of going back to that museum ever again, I've had to kind of give them my email, create a password, which I'll forget, yeah. um, and provide them with a load of details that they just don't need about me, just to be able to get into that museum in the first place. And that seems to be becoming more and more kind of prolific. Um, and I guess to, to kind of round off the bit about surveillance capitalism and this model, it's effectively about getting as much data about people as possible and then monetizing that data um, and basically kind of railroading them into into this process. Now, self-sovereign identity is basically... I gonna, because- well, I'm just
0: going to pause you there, because I'm going to check my understanding as, as well, Fraser, because I, I sometimes hear that the data really is the liquid gold for organisations. Yep. Now, the, the more data, the more value that has. Uh, and as you say, we're being asked for credentials or emails and providing basic information, which sometimes we t- just take uh, for granted, but we're doing it all the time, aren't we? So in some ways, and this is my law enforcement background, they have a they're building a digital footprint or a digital ID for us. Is that is that a fair way of describing it as a layperson's terms? They they know is- a lot about me and my habits and my spending and my travel and maybe family life. Much more than perhaps I even give them credit for.
2: That's a perfect way of describing it. And there's a fantastic anecdote which shows kind of how a really creepy anecdote that shows how well they could start predicting your behavior right um there was a classic uh story in the us i think it was where um and this was just using loyalty cards um and there was a family whose daughter was uh, using the loyalty card um and going into i think it was target or or kind of walmart right um and just basically buying products just going about normal behavior blah 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 what she hadn't realized was that, um, the products she were buying, she was buying, um, were basically a symptom of being pregnant. And I think she was underage at the time. Right. And they sent a brochure to her house, uh, addressed to the parents because obviously it's their loyalty card saying, Oh, good. Like congratulations. You're expecting and basically wording it as like, you've been buying all these products and we kind of know that this is coming. Um, and I can't remember whether she already knew or not, but she certainly did after the brochure landed and it just unfilled this whole storm of kind of, it just, it really, um, really showed how well that kind of prediction is and also just how much of that kind of digital footprint you can wrap into a prediction, even where, um, it may be better than you know yourself to, to the point you just made yeah
0: you know what this is more than a little scary i've got to tell you actually and uh, I, as the older i get probably the less wise i've become on on all of this so just we're going to move on to ssi in a moment but just help me talk to you about some of the, the importance that this must have on customers and therefore businesses because businesses are always relying on customers or clients and that includes you and i So, so Tell us a little bit about why leaders and organisations should be aware of this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think there's there's a few parts to this. Um, One is kind of pure private enterprise, but the other side is really being driven by government. Right. Um, And there's a it's quite interesting. Everyone everyone likes to think about kind of government as this big kind of surveillance state, Um, and that's that's certainly true in certain areas. But there's also other areas of government which are. Um, trying to give people back that control and their data and their privacy. Um, and that's certainly being pushed through kind of the EU at the moment. So um, there are kind of moves going through um, a kind of a programme called EIDAS. Uh, so lowercase E, capital I-D-A-S. Um, another one, which is EBSI, so um, E-B-S-I and SIF, which is E W S I F, amongst a load of other kind of draft regulations. And are
0: those in the UK, are we talking international
2: uh so they're so they're all eu right um all of those um i've yet to see something come out of the uk probably because of the complete carnage and chaos that's currently going on don't get
0: me started Um, don't get me started and all of
1: that (laughs)
2: But but eventually they'll kind of get round to some useful legislation. Um, but basically it, it's kind of being pushed through kind of governments. Um, one of the projects I was involved in was the Known Traveller project with the Canadian government and the Dutch government. Right. Um, so it's it's broader than just the EU as well, and I think there are efforts going down in Australia as well amongst other countries. So on one side it's being really pushed through government because it means that they can start kind of giving people back data. It's kind of an extension of um, GDPR, which some okay. people may have heard about. Yes. Um, on the other side, um, in terms of private enterprise, they've got to deal with the fact that obviously the government's pushing it. So it's going to come in certain countries, whether they like it or not. But also it presents a completely different model to what they've had to deal with so far. Like, One of the reasons that they've used surveillance capitalism is that from a technology perspective, it was easier. It was certainly easier than kind of SSI and and the technology for that is maturing now, Um, but also kind of, they need, it had, it had a commercial model. It worked for them. Um, They had a way of kind of learning more, tailoring their services. And that was their argument for user centricity was they can learn more about you and offer you better services. On the other hand, as we've seen with kind of Facebook and Instagram, that also, there's not necessarily an altruistic kind of motivation there, they are still trying to make money from you. But the reason they should be interested is it will kind of flip the, flip the model on its head in terms of how they interact with customers potentially. So rather than having to try and look for that digital footprint or, um, kind of work with advertisers to kind of surveil that person, yeah. um, all that cohort, they can basically start really easily asking, um, and, and asking in a way that the customer doesn't even need to, they may even provide proactive content and to explain how this might look, this would be as simple as kind of um, when you're maybe booking a flight rather than having to type everything in, you basically have a profile that you um, allow to be shared with any airline that you interact with. Mm-hmm. So when you log to that website, all that data is pulled from where you store it. It's shared directly to the, to the airline. And they'll effectively know all of your preferences around kind of meals, whether you're, say, kosher, vegetarian, vegan, um, whether you like an aisle seat, whether you like a window, do you need extra leg room? Um, And also, kind of, do you have any preferences in terms of, um, I think eventually where some of this is going to go is um, pulling specific media. Um, so you can actually watch it, watch it on the plane. One of the concepts we saw ages ago was actually using something like Netflix so that when you turn up, you can just continue your watching history oh, wow. um, rather being kind of locked in. And so this means that you're kind of sharing your preferences, but doing so in a way that you can control. So they get all of the information they want about you. But without having to do it via kind of nefarious means, or
0: and also it's impacting your customer experience because it's now yeah. it sounds like it's it's bespokeing your customer experience for your preferences exactly. and your likes and your dislikes, and and therefore in some ways that's adding value uh, because there was yes. there's still that phrase you said which is which is bouncing around my head that if you're not paying for the product you're the product, yep. and in and this exactly. way there's I'm giving my data or I'm creating template data. I'm okay with that, and I know that that's making my experience easier and more beneficial or more tailored to me. Have I got this right again, Fraser?
2: Exactly. Okay. And, and, and on, on the other side, if you're looking at, say, e-commerce, it would be the ability to kind of, whenever you go onto a website, and you, even if you've never interacted with them before, right, you could share proactively some information that allows them to completely personalise everything for you without you needing to create that account so suddenly they can do what they've already been trying to do anyway but without the friction of having that account um and the best probably the best where i really hope this is heading in e-commerce yep. is obviously the peak of of the experience at the moment is amazon's one click where you just go onto their website you find something one click and it just shows up at your house and this has the ability to achieve that for any website that you interact with okay. um like everything just works and and to be honest, that's before probably one of the more transformational things. And this will hit on a little bit of an explanation of what SSI is. So
0: Okay, so let's start. Let's let's go into that now because I, yeah. I'm hoping that the listeners already are thinking, hang on, this is relevant because we have customers. I might have ten customers, ten thousand customers, ten million customers, but they're customers. And and if we're talking about data and we're all working with data, this is now about how do you interact with them? How do you improve the customer experience? So this is, this is, this is good. I wanted to have this conversation. SSI, self-sovereign ID, help us with, with a simplistic definition of that for my benefit, Fraser. Thank you.
2: Yep. So that's effectively a paradigm where you control or hold the data. So it's no longer only with the company. Yep. You have a copy yourself. Um, you can decide what you receive, what you share um f- who you receive that from who you share it to and also the, the freedom to kind of port that data around as you see fit um a couple of great examples here are um, obviously that kind of one click experience but also kind of more relevant one as you're heading into kind of influencers or general social media right is the ability to pull all of your data from somewhere and just port it straight into somewhere else um Can so you give me an example to- of that Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if say you had a streamer on, it used to be on YouTube or Twitch and they wanted to port everything they've ever done to a new, um, kind of website or, or, um, new channel at at the moment, there's really no way of moving that data around because it's locked into the original platform and this kind of idea that you hold or control that data and can do whatever you want with it means that you can effectively port not just kind of all of your content, but also all the history and potentially even uh, kind of followers that you have across. So suddenly you're able to completely just shift yourself and shift your data around as you see fit.
0: And forgive me for interrupting. There's a custody element here, isn't it? That if I give my yes. data to someone, so if I'm with LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, I've given them my data and my, my followers or whatever it might be, they have custody of that right now. I don't, do I?
2: No, and that it's a, and I guess for your, for your legal background, it's it's quite an interesting one. Where right now, yep. the way that your data is treated is that actually it's LinkedIn's. So probably the the biggest example of this is anyone using kind of Google's uh, suite of tools. Um, if I remember the terms of conditions correctly, all that data is Google's. Like, right. All it's not yours. You you don't have any rights to it. Um, it's it's theirs. And to your point with LinkedIn, it's it's LinkedIn's data. Like you can request a copy, yes, but it's very much their data. Um, and this kind of flips it on its head and says, no, you're it's your data, and they just happen to have a copy of it for processing. Mm-hmm. It just it, it basically inverts inverts the roles. This is a potential
0: uh, game changer, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely, and and probably the biggest thing. And this is where to your point on kind of improving customer experience, like opportunities, all this kind of stuff. One of the biggest things right now is because that data is siloed inside different companies. Yeah. Different kind of categories of data live in different places, but in this new model where you're the kind of central repository, um, you you kind of collate all that data into one place. So what that means is data that historically never lived together is now all together. Um, the perfect example of this is. Um, So some of your listeners may have come across IATA Travel Pass. So uh, IATA is kind of the um, industry body for airlines. Right. And they worked with a company called Evernim, who are one of our investors, to build um, a mobile app for uh, air travel during COVID. And the whole idea was it would pull in your passport, your boarding pass, COVID tests, antibody, um, COVID, sorry, COVID vaccinations, antibody tests, yep. and maybe something like a passenger locator form. And it will all be in one place. So instead of you kind of turning up at the gate and showing here's my passport, yeah, here's which, three different pieces of paper. I've
0: got to fly on Sunday. I'll be doing just that, right? Here, here's a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this. And
2: yep, okay. exactly. and, and, uh, to, to give a, a, an example I had over, over Christmas, I was coming back from, from Egypt and, uh, the person at the, um, at luggage drop-off was there was just this huge, huge queue way out the building because they were checking all of the names against each other. They weren't checking whether any of the piece of paper are actually valid or not. They were just checking that all of the names matched up. Um, and this basically starts pulling all that data into one place. So you're no longer going, here's one piece of paper, here's a third, here's, here's a fourth. You're actually going, okay, here's everything. You've got an entire data packet that you couldn't get from me before. right? And you can now process, you could do that even in advance. Like I can share everything, but it's a great example of pulling data where historically it all lived in different places. Your boarding pass would be in your mobile app or your back pocket. Your passport obviously is in your back pocket or, or your wallet. Um, and then you've got kind of antibody tests being piece of paper, PDFs that may be stored in yeah. files on your phone or a picture. And then you've got the piece. Oh, sorry, the passenger locator form, which is yet another piece of paper. And this just kind of brings it all together. And I think one of the biggest opportunities with, with soft, sovereign ID and SSI is that you can start creating these opportunities where the data didn't exist together before it does now, and you can offer an entirely new service that you couldn't before. Um, to give a really quick example, one thing could be, um, if you go into a shop or order something online and you buy something that's substantial, so a laptop, a TV, fridge, Mm -hmm. some uh, car, um, and obviously you want to get that insured. And obviously whenever, um, you come to claim on something, the headache is always, where the hell is the receipt? Somewhere usually that you've either lost or it's in the bottom of a drawer that you've gone down. Yeah. Right. And in this scenario, effectively, the receipt would come straight to you um, in a digital format to your wallet. You could immediately share that straight onto the insurer. The insurer knows that you bought it. They know that it's yours. And if you ever come to claim on it, they also know that you kind of have control of that asset. And so you've completely eliminated that whole game of I, I somehow need to prove that this laptop I bought two years ago is genuinely mine and I dropped it like it I don't, in the sink for whatever reason. Um, so that's something where historically it was okay. um, painful and difficult and now in the system becomes extremely easy because the data is all in one place.
0: Now, we're bound to have people listening to this thinking, I've never heard of this. It sound as if it could be a real game changer. I mean, just the valuation of your business in 12 months should give should be a clue to some people that there is something going on here. Uh, a question. What is going to be the thing that you, you talk about it will invert things? It, it takes the power almost back to the people. And yep. what's going to make that happen? Because there will, are there some companies that are thinking, well, it's never going to happen. I don't have to do that, do I? Or people don't know what it is yet, and it will take years to happen. Is there going to be something that will force this to happen or flip it?
2: yeah uh i think a couple of things so i think the first one i kind of alluded to with like there is regulation coming so this is going to be almost enforced or put in by the governments anyway right but i think the second dynamic is something that we saw with kind of remote onboarding and i'll just explain that really quickly so um if anyone's kind of opened up a bank account online recently rented a car maybe an insurance or mobile phone or um I mean, pretty much anything now, you'll typically be scanning a passport or a driving license with your phone and you'll be taking a selfie. That pretty much seems to be the onboarding journey. Yeah. And maybe three or four years ago, the only people doing that were the, the neobanks, the likes of Monzo, uh, kind of Revolut. They were the only people right. who were doing it because they were completely digital. and They didn't have branches. Okay. Um, but basically everyone found that that worked so well and the onboarding journey was so smooth. Everyone does it now. It, it doesn't matter kind of what service you're signing up for. If they need any level of assurance of who you are, they go through that journey. Right. And I think this is going to happen with with SSI. I think there's going to be one domino that falls, and then suddenly the user experience will be so good that it will just span straight across things very, very quickly. Okay. Um, and to give the final bit that I think will kind of help it on its way, there's been a few... I guess recent either big moves or acquisitions that kind of show that this is already starting to happen. Right. So um, as I mentioned, one of our investors, Evinim, they were acquired by Avast, the antivirus giant back in kind of November, December. Okay. Um, so that's kind of that's one big one. Um, Salesforce, Yeah. some of your listeners may know oh, that that giant, uh, bought a company called Credential Master, which was focused on issuing and consuming kind of uh, data in an SSI structure and most recently probably is, uh, is block. Um, so block is uh, the company that was formerly square. Right. Um, so it's obviously kind of multiple things under, under that kind of brand name, um, but they've gone headlong into SSI. Um, they're calling it web five, but it's effectively kind of self sovereign ID. Um, and basically you've got suddenly these kind of big three giants, obviously coming at it from very different perspectives, but all making moves in in a positive direction. So if you're looking at kind of that regulation, then the like the potential for something to snowball once it's in there, you've got three companies that are really looking at actually putting this in people's hands. So suddenly you're, you're actually fulfilling the criteria for the second thing I mentioned very, very quickly. So I, I it's, it's all kind of, it's all happening. Yes, it's, like, it's all, it's like a tinderbox and it's all just kind of ready to go.
0: Wow. I mean, so much to take on board. Without a doubt, lots of people will be thinking, I've never heard of this, which is exactly yep. my response when we first <laughs> we first connected. But I just thought this is super important. How do people connect with you? Get in touch to learn more, continue the conversation, get you to assist them, really get ready for this. What's the best way, Fraser?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess a couple of ways. So probably the easiest way is uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Fraser underscore again. Um give it, uh, actually here's a classic example of where things have broken down. Couldn't remember the password to my original account, didn't have you access to the email alike. address. And but I, I also didn't have access to the email address anymore. So the whole thing is completely lost. I oh. can't even reset it. So it's just gone. Um so yeah, um at Fraser underscore again. Um or if not, uh, if you're kind of not on Twitter, um just drop me an email either at uh we use uh, tend to use either contact at checked.io Or and when you say
0: checked just spell that for them
2: yeah absolutely very good point uh so c h e q d uh because there are no longer any uh proper words left that are short uh that are spelt properly with uh domains that you can still acquire for a reasonable (laughs) price it works though it does it does um so yeah either either on twitter or uh yeah contact at checked.io and you're on linkedin as well And i know LinkedIn as well. Well, there you go. That's always the best way.
0: Um, Listen, this is amazing stuff because you're right at the cutting edge of this. I think, as I say, people may not have heard, unlikely to have heard some of SSI and surveillance capitalism. And I think one of the big, well, many lessons from this, it's great to talk to you from an entrepreneurial point of view, from a founder's mindset point of view, but also this is coming over the horizon. We talk about constant change. We talk about digital transformation and disruption. And this is another one of those waves that's coming our direction.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I think the speed, like you were saying, with with kind of my journey from starting in April of last year to the valuation that we've achieved and the size of the company that we are, um, as well as kind of all those three kind of big moves that are coming from from, yep. from kind of bigger players and general trends, it's it's all happening, um, and it all looks like it's happening this year and next. It's it's going to be a, we're luckily very well placed um, after the first two kind of misfires. Very glad that we took this shot
0: pretty cool listen buckle up it sounds like you're in for a hell of a ride
2: absolutely um, Fraser, been yeah. brilliant
0: thank you so much for coming onto the show i hope you've
1: enjoyed it
2: absolutely no fantastic questions and uh, that's an absolute, absolute pleasure and uh good luck with your traveling
1: thanks very much indeed my friend join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the leadership enigma we'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests get in touch with your host on linkedin or our youtube channel And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.